it was all you know sunshines and roses and, and smiles and stuff I mean that's fantastic but I think you know if you don't have some of those negatives and some of those hard times it's quite hard I think to know you know who you are you know what do you like what don't you like what gets you riled up what doesn't welcome to the digest the podcast where we get real about diversity and inclusion on the ground looking at the stories and the journeys of activists and allies in the DNI space globally my name's Helen Maguire. I'm the CEO and co-founder of Diversely, and I'll be talking to all sorts of characters from around the world about what they're doing in the DNI space and their journey to get there. Today, we'll be speaking to Elliot Higgins. This was a fascinating insight into their journey towards being a talent tech scout at NatWest, which is what they describe as their day job as opposed to their gay job. And we'll be digging a little bit more into their journey uh, to NatWest, as well as what their gay job involves with the Rainbow Network and all the work that they do there. Let's get into it. Elliot, hello. How are you? And uh, well, I can see where you are right now because you have your wardrobe behind you. A very nice wardrobe. Yeah. <laughs> I know, I, I, it does make me need to keep it t- tidy there. I've always got to make sure my boots and everything are all lined up. <laughs> How are you? I'm good, thank you. You're not too bad. Not too bad at all. It's um, I'm glad it's almost the end of the week. And I've got my birthday coming up actually next Tuesday. So I've got a fun weekend and then the week off. So not doing too bad at all. <laughs> oh, complain. Well, happy birthday for next week. And um, yeah. I did a little introduction, obviously, on you at the very, very start of the show, but would love to hear from your side just a bit about, you know, what you're up to at the moment um, at NatWest and uh, what your role involves. Yeah, perfect. Thank you. Yeah, so I work at NatWest as a senior innovation scout. I have been doing that role, well, I've been a scout for about three years now, just over, I think, just have my five-year work anniversary at NatWest. Um, so scouting is essentially kind of, it does what it says on the tin, you know, I kind of scout and look for new emerging technologies, quantify their input, their remit, um, and how it could essentially help us serve our customers better or operate the business better. So Primarily focusing on technology and tech companies, startups and scale-ups being the, the remit of such. And I focus my efforts on the UK and Europe ecosystem um, and kind of what that means and how we can bring that bring that to NatWest, uh, implement that and then syndicate throughout the bank. But also as an aside and, and my kind of, I suppose my side of the desk pieces, I also run our partnerships for our Rainbow Network, which is our employer-led network for LGBT plus colleagues and customers. So trying to also bridge the gap between two of those, potentially expanding our efforts in the DE&I tech space. So yeah, lots going on. Yeah. Well, I suppose to give some context really around how you and I initially met. It was at an event in in London that Diversity was part of, and we were kind of showcasing our tech uh, to businesses there as part of a a kind of startup innovation platform. And you were there and spoke on the panel. And I forget exactly what it was that you were were speaking about, but it was certainly from a a D&I perspective. And I think my co-founder, Hayley, had a chat with you afterwards. And I think it's super interesting that you have this bridge between the kind of tech side of things and the innovation and the DNI. And obviously that's also where, where we come in and that's, that's initially how we met. How do you see that space kind of working out at the moment, either for NatWest or just generally speaking? I think it's such an interesting space to look into. I think it's one that I've spent quite a bit of time recently, but more so than before, I suppose, kind of keeping a finger on the pulse of it, shall I say. So I think obviously there's there's, there's like yourselves, you know, kind of a, a, a raft of platforms that are around, I suppose, um, talent attraction, recruitment, hiring, 
it's definitely a place for that anywhere. I think within any kind of industry, any bank, any any company. And I think it's it's kind of the fundamentals of you know, what we need to be focusing on to get DEI and I right. But also seeing the rise of more kind of niche angles of DEI. So like uh, VCs and you know, kind of venture capital companies that are being built purely to focus on a specific minority or a specific subsection of a of a group. Um, you know, say like Game Jewels, for example, is um, a group of uh, LGBT plus uh, angel investors, and it's it's for LGBT plus companies or founded companies. And then, then we're seeing the rise of technology that are purely focused again at these subsets of or, or minorities, like for example, like Daylight or Taya, which are banking platforms. I think you, you'd call them, and um, that are essentially you know, founded by LGBT plus people for LGBT plus people. But it's not just a case, you know, kind of commonly where we're seeing technology retrofitting itself to meet the needs of a, minor- a minority, but actually kind of, you know, what is it that, that say, for example, the LGBT plus community need? You know, it's obviously, yes, changes to be able to have pronouns and, and remove gender and even perhaps have your drag name on a card, which is a nice thing. <laughs> but actually, you know, it's more around knowing that there's a lot of money in the LGBT plus space that's been underused because people don't feel like products and services necessarily fit or match their needs. You know, yeah. so when we're seeing advertising that is here is a straight, you know, straight white couple that are going to get married and have a baby. And then like, that's fantastic. But like, that's not always the same journey for someone that's LGBT plus. So I think I've seen the rise of those more niche players that are kind of you know, going for that smaller subsection of the market, I think is, uh, is really interesting and something that I'm kind of very passionate about. It's very clever as well, isn't it, from a marketing perspective, because it's, you know, it's like the, what do they call it, the pink pound and the grey mm. pound, and I don't know, all of those different names that they come up with. It's very clever, but as you say, it's not about retrofitting it, it's about truly sort of understanding where there is a gap in the market in a sense of how are these people not being served? How are they being essentially disincluded from society? And your points around having your dragnet I mean I've never heard of that that's brilliant <laughs> it's cool isn't it? yeah and it's it's so it's a company called Daylight I don't think they currently operate in the UK and they're expanding their remits um into the EU but it uh, it was founded in America but yeah and, and again I think that's such an interesting concept like us as a bank you know we, we, we still go through the processes of making changes to customer journeys to make it more um inclusive but like just creating a product that doesn't even need gender or doesn't even need your name you know like nowadays you don't really need to create a bank that has everything about your your um, data specific to you in order to bank and moving away from that kind of legacy way of banking is such an interesting and novel concept I think that that I'm obviously interested in (laughs) from my day job but I think also just from someone who's you know LGBT plus and having to go through the process of uh, changing my titles to MX on, on our items because I'm non-binary and so I prefer to have that and even gender you know trying to remove that where possible and yeah. I never really became aware of it until I, I suppose came out as non-binary probably about a year ago now but even things like I subscribed to get a Vogue subscription I said you know what? I'm really into fashion and I like all the free perfume samples and obviously I've seen the, the waves they're making in terms of genderless fashion and gender neutral items and stuff you know, with like some Harry Styles being on the front of the cover in a dress etc which is fantastic but yet when I went to subscribe there was just the common four gender title right. sets of Miss, Mrs, Ms and Mr, which I was I was a bit confused by. Again, Joe, I think like in, in the in today's day and age, why do we need a gender? And also when you're pushing, you know, kind of gender neutral items and celebrating what is to be LGBT plus, I think there's a lot that still can be done, even just for the, the sign-on process. That, that exactly. There's a lot to consider, isn't there? And I think it's all very well doing it from an outward perspective. Um, the same with businesses, right? Doing it from a kind of performative perspective. But when you really drill down into the experience 
of somebody who's interested in that side of things and who, you know, Vogue has been around for, for as long as you've been alive, certainly. And yet now you're being attracted to it because they're talking about stuff that is relevant to you and that you can identify with. And yet when you go through the process, you're kind of put off. Yeah, and it's, and it's, it's even things like the, I mean, it was the August edition or August issue this year was all about LGBT plus, you know, kind of, and the the, the cover stars were, were um, LGBT plus icons and it was like Munro Bergdorf on there and uh, Cara Delevingne and all sorts. And, and again, like when I got my letter through recently, actually I think it was yesterday to say that my subscription was coming to an end, it still just irked me that it's still titled Mr. Elliot Higgins. I was like, come on, it's such a small thing you can get right. <laughs> exactly. It, it, it's a small thing and it's not a small thing because it's something that you know notice and something that yeah. makes you feel either they really mean this or they kind of half mean this yeah exactly. and it's, I went to um spec savers recently and again I, w- I was trying to get my title on then I think when I was there not to not to um shame or name and shame but um I think when I was there then it went through the pages of titles and there was probably four or five you know, there was there was lord there was viscount there was all these crazy that kind of you know obscure ones that I think probably aren't used very often but yet they still didn't have MX on there and I just thought in today's day and age like who's going to walk in there and say yes I'm the Viscount or you know the, the Marquis or something else just like okay <laughs> yeah fairly sure somebody else would be doing it for them if that was the case yeah exactly <laughs> I mean obviously you know listening to you speak you are hugely passionate about this space and as you say it's only been a year for you in terms of, of coming out as non-binary Can you just take us back a little bit to, you're obviously in London right now, working for NatWest. I know from our conversations that that has not been a direct line, easy journey or approach for you into even the world of work. Where were you born and and, and what was it like for you back then? Uh, so originally I'm from Bradford um, or the, I think I've still got a little bit of a northern accent but not as you much do. as I used to yeah. <laughs> yeah you can tell I'm northern it was probably not yeah. a bit of a nondescript northern accent um, <laughs> so yeah born, born and raised in Bradford lived there for what, 18 years until I went to university growing up in Bradford for the, for the most part was fantastic you know it's, it is a, a unique part of Britain I think um, and actually like, whenever I go back I, I always you know, I do feel like I'm back home again albeit now there's so there's changes to it based off of during my personal changes that don't always kind of align with um with how I want to live anymore but yeah I think coming out so obviously originally came out as gay back when I was 16 which wasn't the easiest because albeit Bradford is very very it's got a mix of like all kind of nationalities cultures etc so you kind of I think it's been named the, the city of culture for 2025 or something I, I don't know but yeah coming out and, and being gay in Bradford wasn't always the easiest um it is quite a big city but yeah it's very much got a small town mentality I think people that tend to be born and, and you know, kind of and, and grow up in Bradford stick and stay and stay in Bradford so I think they're not necessarily uh I suppose accustomed to people that are a little bit different I would say um again I love Bradford so it's not too bad matter but yeah I think as and even just coming out my you know, my, my family didn't really fully get it straight away my sisters were very supportive um and they accepted but I think there was it still took a fair few years for them to be able to celebrate it and then with my mum that was probably yeah, my coming out story. I wasn't the nicest. I think my mum at the time was struggling with her mental health and it was just me and her. It's like I've been, I've always been in a single parent household. I think since being about four or five, my dad left. So coming out to my mum when, when she was in a, a moment of mental health struggle, I think wasn't probably the best, but she questioned me about it and I came out and I said, look, I think I'm, I think I'm gay. And, and yeah, that was, um, it's very uncomfortable and it, was, it wasn't the best time to do it, but it needed to be done. And I think, her reception of me being gay was still something that I you know 
just the look on her face and, and her re- reception to it and how mm. for years it was always a oh but you will meet a nice girl sometime and that will change that for you or saying kind of slide little comments that really still stick with me like oh yeah well Jen, if you do have a, a child like it, it will be yours but it will never really be my grandchild which is really really harming to someone that's quite young you know to say if you ever adopt or have a surrogate it won't be my grandchild like I just yeah. think that's horrible but you know, after after many a year, she's finally come round. I think she's not. She doesn't get all the terminology as such. When I tried to come out to her as non-binary, she didn't really get it. But yeah, I think after a fair few years of her realizing it, it's not a phase. It's it's not something I'm going through. It's my life, and it's it's. I'm very comfortable and confident in it. She, yeah, she's she's a lot more understanding of it now. And um, albeit, yeah, when I when I rock up with a full face of makeup or high heels on, she's she's more worried about my safety in Bradford because I said it's a little bit small, more small town mentality. So she's she's like, oh, why would you want? I don't really care. She's like, but just be, let's just be careful for your own sake, rather. Yeah, maybe yeah. maybe a little bit more rather than than hers at the moment, and and I guess you know that in itself, as you said, was a, was a very difficult journey for you, but an inevitable one, I guess. You know, from the age of sixteen of of moving on into identifying as as gay, and what what did that mean, I suppose, for your for your chances, for your opportunities in terms of where you go next from a career perspective, from a schooling perspective, whatever it might be. Yeah, I think it, it definitely did make me think about wherefore where I would be going to university. I thought I'm going to need to plan for the future in a way that enables me to be my most authentic self in a city or a place where I feel like I can authentically fit in. So when I was doing, like, I, I did at A level, I did biology, chemistry, and maths, and expected to to leave and become a veterinarian, and I really wanted to do that, but. I went and did work experience and I just, it was a bit gory for me. So, <laughs> so my life, my lifelong want to be a veterinarian changed in a week. So I, I really enjoyed chemistry, really liked chemistry. So I was like, look, pretty much every university is chemistry. The world tomorrow, so let's, let's have a look. So I applied to some of the, the most northern cities, just because, again, my, my mum was single. And I didn't want to be too far away from her. So I looked at Leeds, Manchester, Sheffield, York, kind of ones like that. And I think, again tried to kind of gravitate towards Manchester and Leeds I think just based on the fact that I'd had great experiences there I know they've got quite a alive and thriving mm. um you know gay area and, and, the, and the culture of that and so yeah I think it, it definitely heavily like played a part in it and I thought it's it's going to be an area you know where a time where I'm by myself for the first time ever and and I can live my most most authentic truth in a completely different city and and I experiment with what it means to be gay, not in a kind of, you know, sexual sense as such, but just, you know, what does it mean for me? Like, what am I as a, as a kind of gay person by myself in a new place? All that kind of stuff. So, will I find friends? Will I reinvent myself? Like, I don't know. And so it definitely did play a part. And then, yeah, I ended up moving to Leeds. I was in Leeds for three years. I had a one-year break when I went and did um, uh, a placement in Oxford, petrochemical plant there. But yeah, Leeds was fantastic. You know, I think yeah. I, I, I miss it to this day. I think it was, in my eyes at the time, I was, I think I would think I used to call it the London of the North, which I think is probably more Manchester now. But <laughs> but I think, yeah. you know, like to be able to go to, like, and walk and, and live my most authentic truth down Lower Brigade is called the street where all the gay bars are on and JC drag queens properly, really, for the first time. And, you know, even just being able to like, like kiss a boy in a bar and not feel like, oh, do any of these people around know me? Like, yeah. is it, like I don't know, just... I think just the parameters changed. Um, and yeah, I mean, Leeds was a great time for me. Very much miss it. Maybe I'll try to go back at some point soon. Yeah, I, I went to Leeds as well, actually. So we, we definitely have that in common. And and, and even I found myself in, you know, around drag queens. And there was a club night there called Speed Queen, I think. Um, I don't know if it was still there when you were there. But that, you know, that was a fully kind of, not fully, but there were drag queens there. And, and it was really common to see drag queens on the door as, as security yeah. as well for those types of nights. And 
Um, I mean, you know, my closest city was Birmingham. So I had had some experience of it growing up to an extent. But as you say, it being just part of the culture and being quite, ex- albeit underground still, I think at that point, mm. accepted to, to an extent, must have kind of helped you feel a bit more comfortable. Did it sort of change the way that you perceived gay people or yourself as gay? I mean, is, is that where the boundaries started to become a bit pushed or blurred or whatever? I think so. I think because when I was in Bradford and still living with my mum under my mum's house and uh, my mum's room, and they're not really being, there, there is a few gay clubs and whatnot in Bradford, but they're kind of squirreled away, you know, they're not necessarily on the main streets. And so I think when I, when I was at home, I always just kind of felt like I wasn't it sounds a bit big-headed, but like reaching my full potential, if you know what I mean. Like I felt like I'd only just scratched the surface and didn't really know kind of you know what my like yes, I was gay because I was attracted to men, but like what did that mean for me? You know, kind of where did I fit in in the gay culture in the gay kind of in the world thing? You know, there's all these you know, you can be an otter or a bear or a twinkle, <laughs> all these little things like that. And I didn't even know any of this terminology because I didn't really have any gay friends at school either. And so moving from somewhere where it was kind of acceptable to moving to Leeds where it was celebrated you know as you said there were drag queens on the door there was a whole street that had gay bars and a whole raft of kind of different gay bars on it like even just I suppose like being around more gay people you know kind of interacting with them even like my um you know the various different dating apps that um especially grinding you know, <laughs> a lot of gay people are on even being able to speak to people on that and kind of just immerse myself into it a bit more and explore what it meant to be gay I think it definitely made me feel more comfortable and moved away from me almost trying to you know kind of hide and and subdue the fact that I was gay so trying to speak more masculine trying to dress more masculine to kind of exploring what that meant actually to drop kind of the shackles and the constraints of what it felt be um not be as celebrated so I think it was definitely a formative time and why do you think it took you this long to identify as non-binary and for those out there and myself included what would you say is the difference between gay and non-binary where's the overlap if there is any how how would you define that so I suppose quite simply being gay is sexual orientation and being non-binary is uh, gender expression or gender preference so the two are completely different really so that like, I could still be straight and be non-binary like one has essentially got to do with who you're attracted to and one has got uh, being non-binary is about how you present yourself how you'd like to live and what kind of what gender and gender again being different to sex so sex there is male and female and that's what you're assigned at birth and then gender I think there's over like 62 different ones you know you could be trans you can be non-binary you can be gender fluid there's there's a whole lot and even within non-binary there's, there's multiple out levels of it where you could be which is probably where more where I sat um bi-gendered whereas there is still the kind of male female construct but there's more of a fluidity between those two so for example today I'm probably a little bit more masculine than um another, another day whereas this weekend I'm going out for my birthday antics is definitely gonna be a hell of a lot more female you know full face makeup heels handbags all that stuff oh, I, um, I, w- I really wish you dressed like that for this podcast that would have been I know I wish I had it done I should have done you, I'm you, a really, trick there. you really should have done I ha- I've yet I, I mean I we have had you know non-binary queer so on guests on on the podcast but as yet and I'm looking at Elliot now by the way and he I mean yeah you are dressed in, in a male way I I would say I know when I first met you you had your um, amazing boots on with the heels which were very cool and I was quite jealous of um, but yeah I've, I've yet to have a guest turn up in you know the full whatever their preference is but yeah maybe next time maybe next time I see you yeah, yeah, I would say maybe we'll do a part two and I, I can do it fully <laughs> yeah. utilized. I get my nail extensions back on. Um, but yeah, and I think I think to, to back to your question, I think it took me a while to kind of not necessarily come out as non-binary as in I was in the closet, but actually just to realise what that meant. I think growing up, 
I wasn't really aware of the term non-binary up until probably maybe five years ago. And even then, I didn't really understand it. I think even though it's not a new concept and it's not new vernacular, you know, it just probably hasn't been as popular in terms of knowledge and and learning about it. So I've always described myself as a really gay, gay guy, (laughs) as in like, and what that meant to me was, you know, kind of, yeah, being a bit feminine and yes, wearing, um, you know, kind of stereotypically female clothing or shopping in a female section and whatnot. And it wasn't until really, I think, watching things like Drag Race and being on Instagram and really kind of delving into the DEI space and being interested in it, that I actually then realised that, you know, it's not, it's got nothing to do with who I'm attracted to, how I want to present myself. It is all down to gender. And and I was speaking to like people about it and I said, actually, I, actually, I think I probably identify as non-binary. And it was a bit of a different when I think when I came out as gay and I was like, I think I'm gay because I was too scared to fully say it. It was more of actually just, I think I might be non-binary, but I'm still not really quite sure what that is. So um, I was like, I'm going to slap that label on me for now and let's just explore this space and you know, see what it means. And and I think it is a tricky one because, you know, I am a sound male at birth and for the most part, I look, you know, quite masculine. I might not sound it, but, <laughs> you know, I've got a full face, of, I've got full facial hair, um, yeah. you know, kind of dark features. I do dress kind of quite masculine anyway. And so, you know, with my pronouns being they, them, I think sometimes as well, people will just see me, especially on a Zoom and think he, him. So it's quite hard as well to see. But then again, if you see me on a weekend or an evening and I'm going out for dinner or drinks or whatnot, you'd very much be like, yep, non-binary. <laughs> <laughs> That's a they, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and and do you get that? I mean, um, from a personal experience, if you are dressed like that, let's say, do people automatically say they to you or them or, or, or do you still have to reinforce that to people? The observation of me kind of in my more feminine clothing, I think, provokes a bit of a reaction of people asking my pronouns more I think right. they don't normally I think because they would just assume I'm a gay man I think when I'm dressed like that you know I've been to like parties or whatever or I meet people and you know they say oh can I just quickly check you what your pronouns are whereas they wouldn't necessarily normally I don't think unless you're in a queer space I think when you're in a queer space you know, irrespective of how you look I think people are a bit more tuned into that but definitely yeah you know, it does it does provoke a bit more of a questioning around pronouns and, and you know, kind of what people feel comfortable with but it's, it's still there's, there's always a bit of a teaching point as well because people still don't understand that they them is grammatically correct you know people see they them as plural where I'm actually a great example I always use is say somebody had left their phone on a table and they'd left a restaurant you'd say oh excuse me that person's left their phone or you, and you'd be like oh they um they just left you know just because you don't know the gender and that's got nothing to do with the you know, pluralism or whatnot it's just a, a common you know way of being polite when you don't know someone's gender and you're not assuming it so if we had that kind of mentality for, you know, not just people's belongings that are left behind, but actually people themselves, um, yeah. I think people have a lot more understanding of what, what the kind of the, the use of they then means. I've never heard that example. And that is absolutely brilliant. I love that. I've never thought of it like that. It was someone else's. I think I found it somewhere. But yeah, it just, it just made so much sense. I was like, oh, yeah, like, like actually. And that's the example I always use now. Yeah, no, absolutely. I, I think that is, I, I will use that as well. I'm stealing that from you or from whoever <laughs> created it. I don't know. They, whoever they are. Um, <laughs> so in that sense, you know, you've got to this point now. You're obviously in London. Tell us a little bit about your journey from university into NatWest and and everything that you've really brought to NatWest with you from your own personal experiences. It's probably not been an easy journey, but then again, I don't Mm -hmm. think most queer people do have easy journeys. I think they are quite tumultuous. Um, So yeah, I went to university in Leeds. I did a bachelor's and master's in chemistry. My third year, I was in Oxford. And kind of because I was so close to London, went to London quite a few times then. And I think kind of got the taste for it and thought, you know what, I want to live in London. So it was between my third and fourth year that I just, I was like, I want to do something in summer. I want to do an internship. I want to want to try something different because I'd realised at that time that as much as I enjoyed chemistry, I didn't want to go into working in research right. or, or 
completing my degree because of my time in Oxford I was a research chemist at a petrochemical plant and just yeah it just wasn't really for me it was it was an interesting time but it was kind of formative and then I realised I need to do something else and I've always been interested in finance you know the banking sector and I think you know London being a hub for all sorts of finance companies and fintechs it just kind of seemed like a natural option and it was actually through our careers program at Leeds Uni that I got sent an, an email you know saying oh here are some internships that you can sign up to somehow here are some 10 week ones four week ones whatever some paid some unpaid and yeah essentially looked at the NatWest one there was a few different sections you'd go into but I was I've, I've always been really interested in technology as well so I went for the technology graduates internship so I go back to uni I finished my final year and I've already got a graduate scheme like solid if I do well here I went through that. Um, my first role that I was here was a, I was working in a program management office as a risk analyst. So it's kind of aggregating various different risks and actions, assumptions, etc. Which perhaps wasn't necessarily the area I wanted to be in. You know, it wasn't. It kind of I got, was thrown in the deep end because there's all this terminology that I didn't know about, and I just had to aggregate it. They speak to project managers and say you need to update this on time and whatnot. There was a lot of chasing people, not necessarily much technology. And then yeah, at the end of it, got told I was successful and, and I could come back to the graduate scheme. So. Went back to uni, finished my year, and then moved back to London shortly after. I think I started started back on my graduate scheme. Unfortunately, essentially doing the exact same role as doing on my internship, but just for a different area, which wasn't the most interesting of roles for me, being a risk analyst. But it was at a time when all banks were going through ring fencing. Then kind of after that, I was like, look, I need to go into something different. I need to go into something innovative, something exciting. I think that was innovation was the buzzword at the time so yeah kind of we got to do three eight-month rotations at the time and so when it came up to kind of like selection of them I was like anything that's got innovation on it I'm gonna look into and so that's what I did I was an innovation project manager scaling up a project from kind of like proof of concept into BAU essentially at the time it was for our appointment booking system and calendar management across telephony in-person video banking everything so that was really really interesting and and I kind of got to see that I'd always jumped on a moving ship you know it already been through proof of concept and whatnot and so I was like oh, I want to see something like that, that, that is that inception that, that really that kind of uh, proposition building ideas and, and, and whatnot section of, uh, of innovation so my next rotation I went on to be a designer so that was looking at using human-centered design to build out propositions and projects from kind of stakeholder ideas and, and thoughts and stuff doing lots of custom research and all that and again, really, really interesting. But I felt like I just, I, I love both roles, but I just felt like there was just something that I wasn't, I wasn't quite clicking with. I feel like there's a gap in between there where I haven't necessarily yeah. done that, you know, kind of idea through to being passed off the business BAU. And so again, looking like I wasn't too far from um, the scouting team when I was in my last role. So I knew them quite well anyway. And I thought, you know what, I think that's where I need to go. And I joined as an innovation scout. So we kind of do that middle bit, you know, kind of someone already knows what they need. They kind of essentially got the requirements from what they're looking from from a piece of technology or a platform or whatnot. I, you know, scan the market. I look externally. I've got a whole portfolio of companies that I know. We work with scouting partners like SwiftScale, which is obviously where, where we met at their event, and then look to, you know, kind of build, build exec sponsorship find funding and whatnot and essentially then kind of you know going from being a bit of an innovation consultant to being a project manager working with the business and then when they're kind of happy it's a you know, been proof of concept we've gone through the various RFIs RFPs it's mature enough I almost get to hand it back then so I think it's it's, it's, it's been a great role and I've been doing it for three years and managed to get two informations in that time so I can't be doing too bad at it. <laughs> yeah do, doing something right I would say I'm sitting here kind of listening to your journey and, and thinking to myself there's two strands here. You have to be quite 
mentally strong, I would say, to go on a journey through, you know, growing up in Bradford, coming out as gay, even though that is obviously not your choice by any stretch of imagination. But, you know, going on that journey and being brave enough to then, as you say, sort of just start exploring what that means to you, how how deep does the rabbit hole go kind of thing? Where do you sit within that? And as you say, that's a journey you're still on. But it's not a journey that everybody is brave enough or strong enough to tackle. I don't think it's very easy to turn away from that and just to put yourself in a box and stay there. And I'm thinking now the journey that you've gone on with your career as well and the fact that you've ended up as a scout from an innovation perspective, it feels like a sort of similar mindset to me. Probably, yeah. I think I've just always been a person that I think I'm not going to say it's not been hard. You know, I think we've all like I think everyone every journey is different, and it's and it's not been the easiest. And I've, I've struggled with mental health. I am on antidepressants at the moment, I think just because you know we, we all have struggles, and I've gone through them. I've gone on and off them. Um, so it's not all um, you know. It's not it's not all been fantastic, happy times. But I think it's just for me. I've always been one of those people where if something's not right, it needs to change. If I just feel a certain type of way if someone said a certain type of thing or in any situation if I always kind of look for and then you know what's next kind of like I don't like to kind of sit in solitude or or, or whatnot and I think that's one of the things which I growing up and seeing my mum like we were in a single parent household we probably you know, were on the bread line when it came to finances we didn't have much money I could never really go on school trips or whatnot and my mum was quite trapped and she was stuck I think because you know kind of, there was me and her and she I, I was you know I needed her support and she had a mortgage for a house that she did have with her husband. Who, I've got three sisters. They've got um, the same dad, but we have the same mum. She was left with a mortgage because he just upped and left. So she was supporting me and my three sisters for quite a while. Then they moved out and whatnot. And I think she was just quite stuck and there wasn't really any parameters that she could leverage to change that situation. And so I think it kind of really it formed parts of myself where I thought, look, I'm always going to look for how can I make things better? Like, you know, because I think she was stuck and therefore now I just grab every chance I can and look for every chance that I can because I think, you know, I'm in a, posi- a fortunate position where, you know, I'm, I suppose, a single person. I don't have any dependents. Um, and, yeah, I think I'm just quite ambitious as well, which, again, is not kind of like a, you know, a self-complimenting thing, but as in, I just always want to be doing stuff and I want to make it moving. And I think it's what we got, like I was mentioning to you previously, you know, I've just been recently diagnosed with ADHD and I think that's probably part of that as well. You know, I don't like sitting still for too long. <laughs> I can't do the same thing for too long. And I think even that, like the nature of being a scout, you know, I work on so many different projects. I get to kind of govern what I work on. It changes all the time and I just need constant fluidity and, and kind of something to look forward to. So I think that's kind of where it comes from, that sort of du- duality of, you know, wanting to kind of change and move and not, and not be stuck in a situation where I'm unhappy. I think you know, it's probably tended to some of the points of anxiety and depression. And then... Also, yeah, just wanting to just just do stuff, just get out there. Like I don't, I don't want to get to an old age and think, you know, I wish I'd have done that, and then look back at regrets. So, yeah, I think that's probably that's probably a, a, where, a lot of where it comes from. It's a very sort of positive mindset, but as you say, can also cause you quite a lot of stress because you are always trying to push the boundaries and do different things, and you are inevitably outside of your comfort zone many many times in your life I would imagine and I think when we were speaking earlier we were talking a bit about you know D&I as a whole and I know you're part of the Rainbow Network but you and I'm going to put this in inverted commas here tick quite a lot of D&I boxes in a way because you come from you know a socioeconomic background that perhaps wouldn't be recognized as typical for the role that you're in and for the business that you work for 
you, as you say, you know, have certain neurodiverse challenges or or certain aspects. I wouldn't call them challenges necessarily. I'd say ADHD is probably a massive benefit in in your <laughs> case in in many respects because, as you say, it's hard for you to sit still and you want to work on lots of different things. But do you see that as as positive? Do you see all these different aspects of your personality as as a positive thing for your career and for your for your progress? I suppose. Oh, 100 percent. I always see them like this is gonna sound so cliche. I'm, I'm not I'm not I'm not one of the cliches, but it's one of people say they like superpowers. And I think it's true. Like I like, you know, I'm not saying that I'm by but in in any way better than anyone else, but as in because I think you know when you've lived a, a life where perhaps you have had to struggle or you've had to, you know, kind of come come to terms with something, I think you you kind of your your mindset changes and you it becomes a lot broader. So yeah, for a little while until I was diagnosed with ADHD, I kind of thought that was anxiety and so I was going through lots of counseling and all that kind of stuff. And I think, you know, it forms part of your journey and from that you learn from your experiences and you can use them to your advantage. I think you, know, you almost, you need to kind of see where your pitfalls are and what you struggle with and what you don't like in order to be able to remove those or change them. So therefore you focus on the things that you do like. And I think from that, then you can start to build a life that you want to live. You know, I think if it was all you know sunshines and roses and, and smiles and stuff I mean that's fantastic but I think you know if you don't have some of those negatives and some of those hard times it's quite hard I think to know you know who you are you know what do you like what don't you like what gets you riled up what doesn't but I think also just from that you know I love working in the DNI space you know kind of doing what I do with Rainbow Network it is completely voluntary you know it's it is side the desk and you know, I started as a member and then I led our London region and now I'm looking at partnerships and also from that partnerships trying to bridge the gap between my what I call my day job and my gay job but I think you know because I you know have I've come out as gay I've been non-binary I'm neurodiverse and I work with a lot of the other employee-led networks and stuff as well I'm not saying I can understand people's experiences or whatnot because I think as I said everyone's journey is different but just having a bit more of a broader mindset and being able to tap into some of those emotions and times and whatnot I think is it's it has been useful and helpful oh absolutely and I think it just gives you that that level of empathy doesn't it when when you know what you've been through you can recognize it in other people but you're also way more open to accepting what that brings you know as you say the highs and the lows it's not all sunshine and rainbows even if you're now in a place where you know you've been diagnosed with certain things and and that 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 must be quite reassuring in a way as well just to know that you can put that to sleep and go well I accept that that's fine and we move on and we we make that part of you know part of the journey as well so tell me a little bit about the rainbow network Oh, how much time do we have? I could sit yeah. and talk all day. So the Rainbow Network, yeah, aptly called the Rainbow Network, obviously given that um, the rainbow is, or the rainbow flag is you know, one of the synonymous of being LGBT+. But yeah, the Rainbow Network has, it's actually is founded by colleagues that are LGBT+. I think we just celebrated our 17-year anniversary. So we've been around quite a while, have over 2,000 members, just gone for a big restructure recently because we have three global co-chairs that I think every kind of two to three, two to four years rotate just based on, you know, shaking it up and keeping things different. So as part of that, I was, I got the role as a partnership lead, um, namely because of my day job and how I'm interested in. But it is an employee-led network for employees, first and foremost. But we're also wanting to understand how we make sure that Everything we do as a bank is also inclusive of LGBT plus people externally. So very much customers and colleagues, you know, it could be that we're looking at policy changes. Like at the moment, how we just released um, our new position on policy on trans healthcare. So 
our uh, private medical cover now covers uh, hormone treatment as well as customers. So like, we're, as I mentioned earlier, we're working on journeys to remove the need for gender where possible or at least at the interim, being able to change your name, gender and title yourself on the mobile app. Whereas previously, you, know, you might have to have a declaration saying there's been a name change, you have to call up or then take the you know, take the notice into the branch or whatnot. Now it can all be done digitally. There is still the gender marker on the back office of what we're working through changes to change that. But yeah, it's just, I think it's just, it's it's not only is it a membership base of people that you know, understand each other, we do a lot of events where you know, we celebrate various different days on the inclusion calendar or you know, we take part in presentations and sessions and learnings. And you know, there is obviously a social aspect to it where we do look to you know get people out and about, whether it's for drinks or dinners or, yeah. or, or whatnot. But it's it's much more than that. You know, it isn't just a social aspect. It is about being able to be there to support people. You know, as such, we have like gender identity leads. So for people that are trans and non-binary, perhaps looking to understand what we have at our disposal at NatWest, we have different subsets for the sexuality leads. So we've got like we've got a bi lead, etc. And also, you know, we kind of have like, like we've got a really, really long name, but essentially they're like the uh, racial equality, essentially looking to understand that intersectionality as well there and how, you know, kind of being black and gay may be completely different experiences. But yeah, no, it's, it's amazing. And I, I, sometimes I do wish it was my day job. I love my day job, but sometimes I wish I could just devote all my time in the week to Rainbow. And because we have been doing some great stuff, like for the many years we've been around, but I think especially recently we've been really ramping up how we you know, ensure that our customers and colleagues are being like treated with the, the respect and celebration that they, do, they deserve. Yeah, that's fantastic to hear. And I, and I love the fact that what you do internally as a group of 2000 people is also then reflected externally to, you know, customers and the way that the bank treats people as customers and clients and, and partners and so on. Because obviously that comes from genuine personal experience on, on your side, as you say, you know, your personal experience getting this Vogue subscription is something that you don't want your customers from, even though you are removed from those customers, but you don't want customers of NatWest to, to have to go through. Oh, definitely. And it's, it's like myself, I'm a NatWest customer myself, but that doesn't make me biased. If anything, it makes me more, like, I scrutinise them more. Yeah. yeah, like, when I've seen flaws in the way that things have happened today, like, for example, when I changed my title, the process to be able to do that and whatnot, I was like, that's interesting. And so from that, I could take learnings from that as well. But I think as I we are looking to do a lot more, like, like a lot of big banks perhaps see corporate sponsorship as a really great marketing exercise hence why we don't really do it a lot because we're like that's not what we want you to do and it's not it's not the stance we want to have it doesn't want to be you know we're flying the nat west and the rainbow flag and we're saying we're doing fantastic because there's always so much more you could be doing so for example recently i ran the project to sponsor Transfest 2022. Transfest in a nutshell is a celebration of trans and non-binary individuals. Um, it's run by a company called Jekka Black, which is a makeup, a genderless and vegan makeup company founded by uh, makeup artist Jessica Blackler. So she uh, essentially did makeup, art, makeup artistry on people. And when trans people had transitioned at a later stage in life, they didn't perhaps have the skills or the knowledge of how to do makeup as when, you know, I suppose people that are assigned female at birth start playing around with makeup when they're so much yeah. younger. And so she starts she started the business and then was like, you know what, I want to I want to create a space where we can celebrate being trans non-binary. So yes, we have trans pride, which is it's um it's some protest as well as a celebration. Whereas this is kind of a close-knit, you know, closed off, it's quite a secure place. And there's like there's stalls there with uh, like swimwear that was kind of designed for trans people. There was uh, like facial feminization surgery stands and whatnot and we went there because we were saying look we want to learn we want to we want to be with people that were trying to understand 
how we bank with, how we generate talent acquisition and stuff. Like, what is it that would like make you want to work with us? Have you seen any things like that? So, yeah, there's there's lots to be done, and there's a lot more focus now on kind of not necessarily saying we're fantastic and and Joe and and we're doing all these great things, but actually just being quite honest and saying we're here to learn. Let's learn. I, I think I think that is so the way to go. You know, for any business, whether they have a rainbow network or whatever it might be, however progressed they are from a DNI perspective, just saying you know we don't get everything right, but this is where we're trying to get to, and this is how we're trying to do it. Because you know that then attracts people like you, for example, who want to get on that that train and and help push everything forward. You know, it gives people an opportunity working there to help them to do exactly that. It doesn't have to be a complete, you know, done deal. Yeah, no, definitely. And like, like it was a bit of a, of a juxtaposed panel. We had, we had a panel session because we were the headline sponsors and everyone there was you know, like that, these amazing trans icons and like authors, so like Juno Dawson was there and stuff. And then we had a panel session, which was a little bit different because everyone would be talking about their amazing experiences. And I was like, I don't want it to sound like we're selling that West by going up there. But also it's just a foray into the public speaking world. I love public speaking now. And I think that was the, when we first met, I did the panel and I've just done one then. And it always seems to be on DE&I, which I'm super happy about. <laughs> like I can talk about my day job, of course, but let's talk about DE&I. And no, even that was great because I think, again, it was us to say, you may be wondering why we're here. <laughs> you know, all the other stands are very trans-focused and, and, you know, kind of all the people here are activists, icons, people that are trans and non-binary. And um, again, it was us to, you know, to say, like, we're, there's so much that we're trying to do, but do tell us what you'd like to see more of, you know. So, yes, we went through some of the various, from, you know, talked about Rainbow, talked about, as I said, the, the change in trans healthcare and the use of um, name badges your pronouns on and how, like, if your gender... Um, fluid or you're transitioning you can have like the past that you get into the building you can change the picture as many times as you want if you're like kind of non-binary and prefer to dress male and female or you know, male and female orientated I suppose you could say yeah. um, you can have double-sided passes so on one side you can have your you know, when you're looking masculine and the other side feminine and, and all these things and again it, it wasn't us saying like oh we're amazing we're doing fantastic but just to say like these are some of the things that perhaps don't really get noticed because yeah. they're a quite internal focus but we're wanting to talk about it more to say we want to learn more, but also yeah. like, you know, kind of love more people to speak to us and learn from like, like when we can learn from them. No, I think, it, I think it's amazing. And a lot of the things you've mentioned, I've spoken to, to banks and, you know, we speak to big businesses all the time through diversely and I, I've not heard some of those things. So I will definitely take some of those recommendations when, whenever I'm asked <laughs> or have these conversations, because I think that's, that's absolutely brilliant. I'd actually quite like that to a double-sided pass, depending on how you feel. I mean, not for me, male, female necessarily, but you know, something <laughs> happy, sad. Yeah. Yeah. I was like, oh, like, you know, when you have like dressed down Fridays or you, exactly. people used to back in the day, you know, maybe you have that, maybe you have a really corporate looking one Monday to Thursday. And on Friday, you've got one of your pajamas. Yeah, why not? No, I love it. I love it. I think that's brilliant. Um, Elliot, it's been an absolute pleasure to chat to you today. Thank you so much for all your honesty and openness. And just I've learned so much through this conversation. I really have. And, and I hope everybody out there has as well. I suppose the only final thing I have to ask you is where next, really? What's kind of, aside from your birthday this weekend, where, where would you like this, this to head to for you? I think it's, it's as I mentioned I think you know kind of just wanting to learn more I think from a NatWest standpoint from a personal standpoint you know I'm so passionate about all things tech all things D&I and, and I'm always very keen to get involved where I can I think you know yes there's a lot of consultants out there and people that want to do all this 
have like fantastic stuff where they go and they speak to people and they train them and whatnot and like that's by no means what I, what I want to do I think you know just kind of you know having a seat at the table with people that are also like-minded I think being able to learn from people both professionally and personally I love as I said public speaking engagements I'm trying to get more into that I think I think it's, it's a really great experience and you know, again putting yourself in an uncomfortable position but yeah I think you know yes it's been great to tell my story I think you know I'm, I'm happy to do so but I think for me yeah it's more around you know kind of just getting the word out there around that there's so much that can be done and and banks aren't as as stuffy and pale stale mill as we think so <laughs> really so yeah really? by all means you know right if, if people want to see it, I've been on LinkedIn my name is Elliot Higgins so the name will be on it so um yeah yeah just I just want to continue the conversation you know, just see what's next what what can be done what's the art of the possible absolutely no that's brilliant and I want to say also congratulations to NatWest I I read this week that they are now allowing their bankers 12 months of paternity leave as well as uh, maternity leave um, for, for females which I think is I actually wrote a post on exactly this at the beginning of the week and then that story came out so I almost fell off my chair I think it's fantastic it makes a huge difference for me as a parent, that would make a massive difference. And as you say, all of the effort that they're putting into from a, a DEI perspective, I know makes a huge difference to you and to other people who are customers of NatWest as well. So hats off to you guys. Thank you so much for, for all of your time today, Elliot. And um, we'll keep in touch and I'd love to hear what's next. Oh, amazing. Thank you so much for having me. It's been a great conversation. And yeah, I think we had, if we, there, were, there was a number of hours in the day I could sit and talk to you more, Helen. <laughs> Same, same. As I said, we'll do we'll do a part two, and next time you come in, you know, like with your nails, yeah, makeup, and my nails done. Yeah, I want to look forward to it. (laughs) Thank you so much. Thanks, Helen. Thank you so much to Elliot for that. It was such an insightful chat. I learned such a lot about the queer community and from Elliot's own experiences growing up as well as the path that they've taken uh, in their career and all the work that they're now doing with the Rainbow Network at NatWest as well as outside of that in the LGBTQ plus community. Thank you, Elliot. We'd love to speak to Elliot again in the future and please check out our other episodes. You can head to the Digest. Um, There've been some absolutely brilliant chats over the last few months. And if you want to check out anything about Diversely, you know where to go, head over to diversely.io or indeed link up with me on LinkedIn, Helen Maguire, and I'd be happy to share more if you have a story you would like to share or indeed to understand a little bit more about what we do, DNI is concerned and I'll catch you next time.